I'm Linda Van Falkenberg. And I'm Ron Gore. And, and you're listening, listening to, to the, the Co Parent Academy, Academy Podcast. Podcast. Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we get into episode two of four, talking about stress factors affecting children and the coping mechanisms that they have available to them. Today, we're going to pick back up with some of the still heavy hitters in terms of individual stress factors affecting kids. Lynn is going to start talking with us about some of the 25 pointers, and we're going to work our way all the way down through the five, the little ones. We're going to find those little ones are still impactful for our kids, though. And then foreshadowing next week. We'll get into some of the coping mechanisms, which are not going to be nearly enough. We need to focus on keeping the stress away from kids and not expecting them to cope once we stress them. So thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week as well. And then another one of the 25s is one or both of the child's parents has remarried within the past year. And if they're still doing that, trying to get a divorce for two years thing, then um that could just be a new romantic partner has been introduced mm-hmm. on the scene and is right. according to the child taking some of their parents' attention away uh, from them or something. And that um, usually includes the presence of new children being introduced on the scene too, that will, that are, or will become step siblings. And so it's, that should also be a 30, I think, or higher but. No doubt. That's why we had that whole successful step families course in the co-parent academy. And it's actually our longest course because it's I think it's the most complicated topic. I think it is. Yeah, it seems like it should be so easy. And the more we talked about it, the more we saw the complications. Exactly. So it uh, did. The family income has been substantially reduced. Um, kind of goes with that old saying that every divorce. The, yeah, that, you know, two can live together, usually cheaper than two can separately. And when you do have to, you know, if and one that's not even mentioned here is, uh, which kind of surprised me, I was looking for it. I looked back over more than once the list to go, it's just not here. Because what goes along with that, having to move to a different um, uh, school, switch schools, is that, um, uh you know, the family, both people are usually living somewhere else. And very frequently, one or both of the parents, temporarily at least, move in with one of their parents. Right. Or, you know. Or an apartment when they've never lived. Yeah. Yeah, no lived oh, in yeah. an apartment before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the kids are like, what's the deal with this? You know, this is, this is where I don't like going there or frequently a parent can only afford a, a one bedroom apartment. And so then, you know, the child doesn't really have a room that's theirs because even if they use the parent's bed alone on their weekend there and the parents sleeping on the couch or something, the kid doesn't, it's still not their room, you know, with their posters on the wall and, all their stuff. So yeah, and we under we understate in our brains as adults how weirded out kids get by new living situations. Like what I always come back to is our son 
when Rebecca and I moved from Virginia to Oklahoma, our house sold super fast. And our my law office at the time was a, a nice two-story house with all of the fixings, but I used it as an office. And so because our house sold so fast, we had to move into the office for like three or four months, which is not a big deal. Like we totally made it into a nice house. As you know, Rebecca, it was oh, it was yeah. obviously <laughs> awesome. Um, but he still to this day, and that was uh, 11 years ago, he still remembers that as this really weird time and that weird place where we stayed for a few months. And how strange was that? And what was wrong with us that we had to move into that house? You know what I mean? Oh, that's funny. We had that conversation. I had it with him just like a few months ago where he was asking about that. And in our minds as the parents, we had done everything possible to make it fun and to fix it up and to do all sorts of things. Um, but he just remembers it as this really weird time where there must have been something wrong. Yeah. What was wrong with us? I love that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he probably really did think there was something wrong there. He did. But yeah. If that happened in your life, can you just imagine what it's like when, you know, if if dad had left and was gone somewhere else and he had to go to a really scuzzy place to see dad every weekend, you know, exactly. I mean, really? Yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And then, you know, I've, I've had, uh, you know, little boys, especially be very concerned that they're, um, that they need to go get a job uh, to, to help support mom and mom's house, or, you know, they are living with mom's family or something and they, their mom and two kids are living in the guest room you know, it's, it's just, they, they don't. And frequently they'll, they'll say to me, and then, you know, when I'm talking with the parent, they'll go, how soon can we get out of there? Like, it's just awful, you know? Well, and one of the things that I think older men do, that's really harmful, not intentionally harmful, but it's just really unhelpful is to tell a young child, a young boy, Hey, you're the man of the house now. Oh, you need to take care of your mom or sisters. And, you know, grand maternal grandparents will say that all the time. And it's just really, really unhelpful. Um, and that's part of where I think the thought that they need to get a job. Sometimes I think that's part of where that comes from. Yes, definitely. It is. Uh, I had a three-year-old tell me that years ago that, that he was, he was not minding his mom is, is what the presenting problem was. And uh, his basic, uh, idea on it was why should I mind her? I'm in charge. Right. I'm the man of the house, which I mean, how loaded and complicated is that statement, but coming from a three-year-old, I mean, wow. Exactly. He was pretty smart little cookie. He was almost four, but he was, he was still three. Well, that explains it. He was almost four. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, my grand my grandson is that smart. He could he could he could figure that out. I'm sure. I bet he could. And then and then the other part is the child is experiencing a prolonged period of difficulty in school, and so many times they will say, you know, I w- I would hope, and I remember saying this to a few kids before I was corrected a few times that well, can't you just see school as a reprieve from the the fighting and stuff that's going on at home? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I can't quit thinking about it when I get to school. You know, yeah. it it's it's a 
I, I can't, uh, my grades have really fallen. I can't, in fact, that would be as a teacher years ago, why I would find out sometimes that there was a separation happening because yeah. a child that had been a really good student would suddenly just go, they weren't getting a thing done. Yeah. Nothing was getting turned in. Of course, the grades were falling because I didn't have anything to grade. And so, you know, I'm like, don't really mean to pry, but what's going on at home? Because yeah. you know, this is really different. And so it's, uh, and a lot of times, whatever process or ritual routine is in place at, at home for our homework falls by the wayside. Uh, like you said, well, ago, maybe the parents not even there because they're working a second job or something. And, and a big sister or brother could care less whether or not you got your homework done or yeah, you know, that kind of thing is normal. And I think it's the change, too, because I, I don't know if you've run into this, but I've run into situations where kids during their impact family before the separation occurred, if there was a lot of abuse in the house, sometimes those kids actually did had always hunkered down with their studies because right. the safest place was in their room during their homework. Oh, yeah. And then they felt great at school. So that's always <laughs> It's always something that I think about when the parents say, oh, well, the kids are doing great in the separation. There's been no change in their school. That always makes me think, well, what were they experiencing before that made right. it so that it wasn't a big change for the separation? Right. Exactly. You bet. That's a great point. And then they mentioned a couple of things that are probably more normal child stressors, but imagine if it were also happening <laughs> Yeah, we know we've got this really high level of separation, divorce stuff happening, but then we can also have, you know, the child's basic personality type and, you know, social awareness or whatever going on too. And, and it's normal problem for them. Yeah. You know, do they have a learning disability? Are they behind in any way? You know, what, what's going on there? And of course, all that, if that's underlying this stuff, then it's just exasperating that. And uh, so the, you know, the child can have significant problems with peers being bullied or ostracized or whatever. Um, the child could uh, perceive that they're significantly different than their peers. Um, one of the ways I saw that, you know, 30 something years ago, I, I remember having children tell me, especially little girls were so keyed into the social stuff. And they would, they would tell me that, I think I'm the only one in my class or even my whole grade that their parents are getting separated or divorced. And I would assure them, you know, even though the divorce rate was much lower back then, I would assure them they definitely were not. Um, There just, you know, was no way of knowing that unless somebody told you, you know, that that was happening to them. And then I can't remember how many years ago, probably at least two. No, this was while I was still a teacher and a school counselor. We started, so this probably been 40 years ago, the Rainbows group started out where they would, uh, the school counselor or a therapist that came in from uh, an agency or something would meet with uh, the kids who were going through the divorce process uh, once a week at lunch and have lunch together and talk about those things so that you got a chance to realize, look, I'm not the only person at this school that's right. going through this. So... And then another one that could be normal is that one or more of the parents has a significant or chronic physical or mental illness. Um, That's one of those things that um, 
you know, you can, especially through uh, COVID and anything else, you know, that that's a global problem. You know, we can we can see that those things are happening. There were uh, several times I know in 2020 and 21 where you and I both saw cases where the child had prolonged time away from one of the parents because of somebody in that other family system having uh, COVID. Um, And then this is definitely back to the separated or divorced part. Uh, The parents of a child are experiencing prolonged or obvious problems, including frequent quarreling, problems at work, problems with relatives, etc., all that, as we've already talked about, can definitely be going on right. through separation and divorce. And if you put the divorce on that, which they had called a level 15 problem, it upset to probably a, a 30 problem. Because once again, the parent doesn't even want to go to work, much less the kid going to school. And then the child entering a new school as part of just the normal school career, um, like say, I, I have seen so many kids this summer that will be going in a new school building, but it's also being exacerbated by the fact that they are having to move to a new school district at the same time, which makes right. it extra hard. And then the child could be from a disadvantaged environment where suddenly the family income that might have been just barely making it uh, could now be below the poverty line um, for one of the parents. and Yeah, and that's that, easy to do. Yeah, and that then goes back to, okay, you get you start having problems with peers. If you come to school looking different than you used to look, wearing different clothes than you used to wear, et cetera, um, what happened to you and what's wrong with you and why are you dressing like that this year? You know, that kind of thing. It's kind of the environment you're in. And that's one of the worst things that happens is kids go from feeling like they're just normal middle class in one of our cookie cutter neighborhoods that we have around here. And next thing you know, their whole identity changes because now they're living in a smaller house and a worse neighborhood or in an apartment. And it just, yeah. I know we've already talked about this, but I just, I can't overstate the impact of a kid on what that does to their self-esteem and self-identity right. and just everything. And, and they have to feel secure in who their parents are. And they're already not feeling secure because their parents are splitting up. But then when their parents are both splitting up and they both seem to have less money, it, that's scary for a kid. Well, and parents probably don't realize it, but frequently they feel guilty for not being able to treat their children in some of the ways that they used to treat them. And like with a sonic drink or something like that, you know, or Starbucks every now and then. And suddenly while the child is wanting that and thinks it's normal, the parents like, I really don't have that right now. And then children are telling me, I think we're poor suddenly because I don't get to do this or that anymore. You know, and then they do worry, should I get a job, you know, at 11 or 12. Right. Um, Or they can't do travel baseball or travel gymnastics or whatever it is. Or stay in the same private school, which we have a lot of in the Tulsa area. So, right. Um, This one I thought was very interesting for, um, and it's only rated a 10. But it says the child's week is overscheduled. Nearly every day 
he or she is running from one activity to the other. So they're, they've become a hurried child. Well, that's interesting. And that doesn't even count going back and forth between the parents. Right. <laughs> and some of those schedules are very frequent. And then that doesn't count that one parent will take them to an activity and the other parent won't. So they don't yeah. know for sure if they're going to wind up staying on the team because they don't get there half the time. Right. So or get playing time. Yeah. They're scheduled, right. but they may not actually be getting there. And the or, coach will say, if you don't show up to practice, you can't play, but the kid can't yeah. help it that one parent won't take them to practice. Yeah, exactly. Or we have a lot of the problem now that uh, if the child is, you know, say the Tulsa area in school, but they have to go you know, to another state for the whole summer to kind of even up the parent's time with the kid, as they get into middle school on up, they're like, if I don't show up in July and August to practice, sometimes the band is even like this now. Oh, the we band some, is more like this. <laughs> we got some serious bands in yes, our area. We do. Yeah. Yes, we do. And one of them's called The Pride. What does that tell you? So, yeah. you know, that's you know, if if they don't show up, they don't get to play. Right. And yeah, they, I yes. Being a parent take, who ferried yeah. their child to the Pride of Owasso marching band practices in the summer and during the school year, I can tell you it is, they are not kidding around and it's, it was, it was worse than any sport I ever played in yep. terms of what they would were saying about punctuality and attendance. Well, many guys have told me through the years, even many years ago that, that they thought they played a sport really seriously in high school. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have nearly this many practices or nearly this many games, and they definitely were not traveling to, you know, competitions right. in another state, much less east or west coast. So exactly, you know, it was it was way different. Um, so yeah, that that really sometimes just the running back and forth, and I think sometimes we totally forget that fact when we're talking about kids in you know, mid-adolescence on up that that's the kind of thing I hear so much. And it seems like I'm, I'm doing a lot of reconciliations now with 16 and above. And one of the biggest problems is they're just at that developmental stage where they're in school, they're at work, they have a boyfriend or girlfriend, they have stuff to do, you know, yeah. and if they've got any kind of a sport or other activity, I don't know when they sleep. So, yeah. well, you and I were talking earlier uh, before we even went through this list about doing a course on visitation schedules and how it impacts yes. kids at different developmental stages. And this is, I think, confirmation that that's a topic that we need to get into. Definitely. And then there's a couple here that seem like they, well, three that I wanted to mention um, at the end here that there's these things, once again, seem to be. Remember, this scale was all about normal kids that aren't in a divorce or anything other than that first one. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's a general lack of organization and scheduling in the household. The child may not have nutritious, well-balanced diet, and the child may watch television or play video games for more than two hours a day. Can you tell this was in the 90s? Uh, <laughs> that was a five. It got five points, you know. So yeah. put that in the context of parents that are very busy going through a separation or a divorce. And 
whatever organization used to exist has been changed drastically. Um, frequently, the kids are complaining to me about how the food is at one house. Uh, and then frequently, at least one of the houses, nobody knows how many hours they've been on their phone or a game. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, that takes us through the stress factors that they have. And they didn't even list all the stress factors related to divorce and separation that we could add on, I'm sure, right. that they haven't thought about. And it's That's so funny. Point. I just looked at the coping mechanisms and I was trying to do some quick math, which, I mean, unless there's <laughs> a dollar sign in my direction, math is not my friend. But in looking at it, I don't think if you add up all the coping mechanisms they have listed and assign the points to them that you could assign, I mean, you would only get to about 60 points. So there's actually no way to have a child get under 30 if they're divorced or separated, even with all the coping mechanisms. And we've already foreshadowed that a lot of those coping mechanisms are not going to be available they go poof with a separation or a divorce. And so what, what does that tell you? I didn't even think about that until you, until you said that about how that all adds up to how, how heavily weighted the, the factors are versus the weight of the coping mechanisms. What I take from that is that the only real course of action is to try to remove as many of the stressors as possible because you can never compensate with coping skills. I love it. That's what I was just thinking too. I was just struck by that when you said that. Yeah. But unfortunately, in the context we're discussing, divorce and separation, they can't avoid those because they're baked in no matter the best intentions the parents have. And again, you know, we're not trying to be negative towards the parents because it may be the case that getting the divorce or separation was the best thing that you could do for your child because staying in the marriage may have exposed them to domestic violence or coercive control, all sorts of different things that would be worse for them than having the separation. But that doesn't mean, even though you took the right action in your child's best interest, it doesn't mean that you're still not exposing them to a bunch of collateral stress Right. Which still has to be addressed. Right. Well, Whew. I'll tell you what, that took uh, longer than we thought. <laughs> and I really do. I do think it's so interesting. And we may come up with, because what we're going to do is we're going to break this into two episodes. So the next episodes, we're gonna, episode, we're going to get into coping mechanisms. But I think we ought to also, Linda, maybe come up with some additional divorce and custody related stressors that we could talk about as well um, right. and think about what points those would be assigned, because I think that'd be a whole new deal. Me um, too. And so what we'll do is I'm not actually technically sure how to do this, but I'm going to make this uh, PDF available with the podcast. I'll figure it out um, so that folks can download it so that they can look at this it's a three page PDF with the stress factors and the coping me- mechanisms. So you can assess yourself you know, or your child and think, Hey, how are they doing? And then tune in with us next week when we talk about the coping mechanisms. And then also, you know, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that some of these stress factors are caused by parents who don't know how to communicate, don't know how to do conflict management, 
So if you don't know how to do visitation transfers or introduce that family successfully. So we have those resources for you if you want to check them out on coparentacademy.com with our courses to try to add some coping skills to your kids and add to your toolkit to recognize the issues the kids are having and to learn how you can help resolve some of them before they even happen. Yes, and that's about all parents really can do because you can't control how fast the court system does its thing. Right. and But you can control how you act with your soon-to-be co-parent. Yep. And uh, as far as your ex, soon-to-be co-parent in that regard. And uh, it's really important that you do take that that you can control, that you can do something about and realize what you're doing to your child um, in the middle of all this. Right. Awareness is one of the main reasons I thought this was important for us to talk about. Just be no, this was, aware. This was great. I'm so glad that you brought this to my attention because this is, I love this. This is a great conversation. Okay. Well, that does it for today. So Linda, thank you. And uh, everybody, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to leave questions, comments, or concerns, please email podcast at coparentacademy.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.